welcome to the second panned episode of what? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We're still in isolation, but uh, we're making it look good, I guess. How are you guys? I mean, we haven't killed each other yet. Yeah. I think we're doing fine. We're going to go pick up groceries from the grocery store, which in a really upsetting turn of events, I've been looking forward to for a week. So. <laughs> I got so angry that I like rage finished my breakfast. Like okay. I was reading it while eating breakfast and I looked down, my breakfast was gone and it was like through sheer rage. Mm-hmm. I get that New York times daily brief email where they just sort of like consolidate like the headlines for the day. Yeah. And one of them said, uh, three out of four Americans are, or will soon be under lockdown procedures. And I was like, what? <laughs> three out of four. Well, soon, are you telling me that I've been doing this for three weeks and over like a quarter of the population isn't even fucking doing it yet? Is that what you're saying? Because now I literally feel like the kid in kindergarten who was doing everything they were supposed to, but they still can't go to recess until everyone else gets their shit together. Yeah, I'm really sorry to tell you that that is true. Like not many people are actually um, locking down. Did we ever really introduce our guest? I know that... People oh, that's know right. from his uh, from his star <laughs> turn with the uh, room full of chihuahuas. Wait, has anyone else won since I was on the podcast? Has anyone else any won? Has any of the guests won? I'm sure. I mean, we no, are notoriously no. bad at our own math and scoring in this. Uh, yeah, I, the honest answer is there's <laughs> really no way to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I mean, let's say. Let's just say no, Connor. You're the only one. Uh, Connor, I will tell you that um, the Monty Hall problem kept my dad going for several consecutive days. Ellie, you have to post those videos. Yes. For like two or three days after that episode came out, Mm. Ellie would send me a video that her dad sent her. No, no, no. My mom would send me. And her mom and her of like just filming her dad at the table <laughs> muttering to himself. <laughs> yeah, he's not really talking to mum. He's just sort of talking. <laughs> he's like, but then if there was a sixty-six percent chance, and then we now, and then now there's three, so that makes it no. But it was already a fifty percent, and I'm like, dad, whoa. Well, so Connor Shay, cartoonist, box man, welcome back. Olympian? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. Welcome back to the pod. Oh, thank you. I'm going to have to kick us off with a fact bang. Oh my God, please share a fact. Fact bang. Bang it. Bang that fact. So there is a man who is a self-appointed art detective. Have you heard about this guy? Is it Connor Shea? No. no. There's a guy <laughs> called Arthur Brand who is a Dutch art crime investigator and has personally recovered over 200 works of art, including a stolen Picasso, a book worth a million euros called The Book of Hafez, a Byzantine mosaic, which I don't know how you lose, to be honest. A whole mosaic? Yeah, an entire mosaic of St. Mark. Did you find out about this art detective because yep. of the Van Gogh that went missing? No. Someone stole a Van Gogh right out of a museum that's been closed because of the coronavirus. So they were like, this is my time. Oh, shit. In Amsterdam? I think so. In like a <gasps> like a multi million dollar. Let me see. Oh my gosh! Because I was looking at this fact bang two days ago, and this happened yesterday. Oh shit! And he's tweeted about it. Hang on. <laughs> 
Last night, this Van Gogh painting was stolen from the Singer Museum in Laren in the Netherlands. The hunt is on, dot, dot, dot. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. He's going for it. He's going for it, guys. At brand underscore Arthur on Twitter. Yeah, let's keep following this. Hell yeah. That's so exciting. I'm retweeting it. Wait, hold on. This is my favorite thing ever, which is like the first article I found about this, which is from just like the AP News aggregator. Yeah. It has a quote from the museum director, Jean-Rudolf Delorme. And he says... I'm shocked and unbelievably annoyed that this has happened. <laughs> like, not even like, we are shocked and saddened. Like, we're like, I am unbelievably annoyed. I'm pissed. <laughs> I am P.O.'d. My title is The Formidable Mink. Mink? Like M-I-N-K? No. Neither mink nor monk. It is mink. M-E-N-K? Correct. Well, I don't mank. know what a mank is. Do you not? If you had to guess, what's a mank? Is that like a, a minch? Is that like a good guy? Ooh, no. Is it an acronym like M-E-N-K? It's not. Well, shit. I'll give you a little clue. I guess it's like a phenomenon or a... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Folktale. Since I'm being some sort of British thing. <laughs> it's not. It's not, it's not, it's not. You have thoroughly stumped us. Yes, yeah, a strong, strong opening. If you, dear listener, know what a mank is, you are, you're already beating the previous winner, Connor. <laughs> Connor, what's your title? Uh, my title is Killing One Bird with Ten Stones. Oh, uh, that sounds like math. Laughing. No, it is not a math okay. thing. Okay. <laughs> one bird with ten stones. Is yeah. it about, ooh, is it something to do with like a shotgun? Or slingshots? No. Ooh. What about those like little like blow guns where you like <laughs> that you can, like make with a straw? Uh, yeah. No. Is it about video games? It is not about video games. Like about hitboxes or anything? I was gonna say Miles mm-hmm. Luna will come for you. Yeah, <laughs> my, Miles just like appears in the doorway. Like, what are you guys talking about? Huh? What are you doing? <laughs> oh, oh, the bird thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it about birds? It is about birds. Okay. It's about guns. It's about guns and birds. It's about hunting. Kind of. Is it about a bird that can use a gun? Is it that coked up parrot from the movie last night? Because, you know, my mom has a parrot and she's basically like the worst living animal. Like, I love animals and I hate that. She hates you. Apologies to my mother, who's probably listening to this podcast. So my mom calls me up one day and is like, oh, I'm getting, guess what? I'm like getting the parrot, which is like a thing that my mom does a lot, which yeah. is like, she just like starts and like, kind of the middle of like yeah like you might have had that conversation before but it's not guaranteed yeah yeah so yeah she's like guess i'm getting the parrot and i was like that's awesome what parrot and she was like sugar bear and i was like oh no she's like well i didn't name it but it's this rescue parrot i've been talking to these people and we did all these interviews and they approved me and i'm getting the parrot and i was like okay that's awesome and then she's like so the thing is is that part of the application process was i had to name a next of kin for the parrot and i was like "Uh uh-huh and she was like because parrots live for like 50 years and this parrot's like two years old and i'm 50 so do the math and i was like "Uh uh-huh and she's like "So, so basically like you're now obligated to take this parrot when i die and I was like, neat. Ooh, ooh, mm, ooh. And like the thing about that is, <laughs> is that you don't want to. And then furthermore, the more I got to know this parrot, the more I super didn't want to. Because for one thing, the parrot 
is very bonded to my mom, which is really cute. But that parrot fucking hates anybody that's not my mom. Like, yeah, because they bond parrot, to like one person only, right? Yeah. That parrot has tried to murder my stepmom, my mom's wife, like every single day since they got it. Like the parrot will chase Dana around the house with like flapping its like little clipped wings and like screaming. Like I wouldn't be surprised if like that parrot found a way to send Dana to prison. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) The absolute worst part about it is that since she's so bonded to my mom, she parrots my mom's voice. I can't think of anything more fucking black mirror horrible than like me mourning the death of my mother who I love more than like anybody. And I have this goddamn parrot that hates me. And then it lives in my house and in my dead mother's voice like there's just like no universe in which i'm gonna allow that to happen i will walk backwards into the ocean before i do that she loves to swear too she's like friggin bitch (laughs) she's a bad parrot chelsea what is your title my title is puff puff pass puff puff pass it's about uh the sticky icky no (laughs) (laughs) is it about cannabis marijuana it is tangentially related to getting high, but it's not about weed. Other drugs? Bad drugs? <laughs> no, not really. All drugs are bad, kids. We've stumped each other. We're all stumped on the minigame. Yeah, it's true. I'm really excited for this one. I can go first. It's been a minute since I've gone first. Yeah, kick us off. All right. Well, puff, puff, pass. <sighs> Today on the pod, we are talking about, not drugs defense mechanisms oh and when i say defense mechanisms it may sound like what i do to all my coworkers, which is uh not let them know anything about me and mm-hmm. perceive like real or made up uh slights or insults and then shut them down forever right like you puff up twice yeah. and then you pass on revealing your inner self <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah that's definitely just your co-workers you do that to <laughs> yeah it's just my coworkers. this is about anti-predator adaptations of animals which i think is sick because animals are cool and they're better than us and we should respect them for that animals are cool is a great shit animals are cool and better than us (laughs) so i started like deep diving into this because of one very specific fact bang that i will reveal at the end of this is it about the tiger's ears no, but you're going to have to share that with me because I love tiger ears. No, it's it's going to it's gonna reveal the puff puff pass. Okay. So I read this one thing. I'm going to save it for the end because it's so fucking good. Uh, and it led me into this deep dive the other night about anti-predator adaptation, which is the technical term, because defense mechanism apparently really is just like the psychological thing where you shut people out. Uh, <laughs> but the, the correct terminology for animals is anti-predator adaptation, because it's something that they've developed over time mm-hmm. to sure. keep them safe. And uh, there are four main types of anti-predator adaptation, and uh, they are now here in the order of most to least uwu. So... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that really got me. (laughs) The most ulu is uh, the avoiding type, which that would be like camouflage, naturally. Um, Because that would be like, oh, like, no, like, don't find me. Don't look at me. Oh, I don't want to get got. Or it's animals that have developed uh, nocturnal behaviors. Mm -hmm. So that one I think is really fun because, you know, we all know that they're like, day animals and there's night animals and then there's crepuscular animals which is a term that i had to 
introduce my new roommate, Nash, to Nash, who never asked to be my roommate, but now is due to isolation. I was like, yeah, Mamba, our cat, because he's our cat now, is uh, crepuscular. And he's like, what's that? And I was like, it's animals that only go out at dawn and dusk. Yeah, they um, like the golden hours. Yeah, they're very aesthetic. Yes. So, but I think it's funny that it's like, nocturnalism and animals developed as a defense mechanism against uh, predators. So they were like, oh, lion, you want to come get me? Like, well, fuck with me at night, bitch. Bet you can't see now. But then the predators were like, okay. And so now there's night predators. (laughs) (laughs) Nature's such a circle. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So that's avoiding is camouflage, uh, hiding, uh, you know, the animals with the fake eyes on their bellies and shit, uh, and nocturnalism. The second well, one. So that's where I can yeah. insert my little fact about the tigers. The little white <gasps> spots on tigers' ears are supposed to look like eyes from behind, so that the so that a predator of a tiger who question mark who predators a tiger? Mammoths? I don't know. Might think that uh, it's looking at it. Oh, I love that. Little eyes on the back of their ears. That's very very precious. Anyway, slightly less uwu would be dissuading. Okay. So this is as opposed to color reminders. Yeah, gentle. (laughs) No, not so gentle. So this would be like as opposed to coloration that makes you hide. This would be coloration that says like, "Bro, I'm poison." Like, if you Mm -hmm. eat me, it's so bad. So not like a call out post. If uh, the first one was like having your tweets on private, mm-hmm. then this one is like subtweeting. Mm-hmm. Which okay, is like, sure. hey, I don't know who needs to hear this, but if you bite me, you're going to get covered in slime. Yeah. And you're what not going to like it. Yeah, it's going to fucking suck. So it's like really not worth it. And I don't think you should do it. Other ones would include like noxious fumes. I think we all know who we're talking about. Me? Connor. Yeah. <laughs> I just uh, jumped on that grenade. <laughs> And then it's also like, and you know, we all think these are very cute, like the sort of like displays of strength. Everybody has seen like a video online of a domestic cat, like doing like a weird dance where they like bring their back legs to the front and they're kind of at a side angle. Yes, and they look really the little weird. sideways strut. Yeah. So that's to make them look bigger. <laughs> to become big. That's why they do it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they become big, as we all know, is super important. Mm-hmm. You've got to big must so like when mamba gets big tail yeah or like big tail yeah everybody loves cat with big tail but like that is like a subtweet of just being like hey like this isn't to anyone in particular but like i'm really big like i'm big now (laughs) uh yeah so like just so you know like i'm actually very big this isn't directed at anyone but i'm i'm very big yeah but i'm actually like super big so like just like you know beware moving on from dissuading from becoming big would be actively defensive behaviors like stinging and biting acid uh, what acid acid sure when we are getting into like kind of the xenomorph portion of this we'll talk about acid blood <gasps> one that i think is the most fascinating because it's related to what's going on kind of right now which is communal defense uh which is things that animals including humans do as a group to protect themselves weird so quarantine is communal defense yeah, kind of, because we're trying to starve out this virus. <laughs> Fuck you, Corona. <laughs> now we've come to the least uwu, what I call the metal category. And these are animals that will sacrifice parts of their bodies <laughs> to uh, to evade or escape predators. And I just like think that's so fucking badass. So just I just wanted to give a couple examples from the animal world from some of these that I think maybe people hadn't heard of or hadn't thought about in this way. 
that fucking rule. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them is going back to the avoiding group again. The most uwu. This is the uh, I have my tweets on lockdown. You don't know what I'm doing. The flat tail horned lizard, which I believe lives in Texas, has has developed to have no shadow. <gasps> what oh, this really weird yeah so whenever you see like and other lizards kind of do this like to an extent but part of the reason that lizards um even though they have arms and legs so they should be kind of like quadrupedal like other armed legged animals yeah they the reason that their arms are kind of bent at like that right angle to the ground like parallel to the ground mm-hmm. is so that they can get real low so that they have no shadow <gasps> and then they can kind of be in the shadow and the one who does it better than anybody is the flat horned lizard who's literally if you look at a picture of me looks like a big blob like if a lizard were a blob mm-hmm. and it's so that all the little sides are rounded and they droop down to the ground and they prevent them from having any shadow whatsoever Oh my gosh. So like Christina's lizard toddies. That's why she's like a little pancake. Yeah, she's a pancake. She's in a shadow. Amazing. Yeah. No, we're very proud of her. Toddy just uh, like has this, um, like I would say two foot little desert scape that she, <laughs> which is like, she, it's like a millimeter away from her face and she just stares at it all day. Like it's a view and it's so Aww. cute. Another topic, which like could be its own wet topic, but just to try to like distill it really low down a lot of times like when we think about like these sort of avoiding strategies and we're thinking about specifically coloration in animals i think everybody knows like different examples like one that's really popular in this part of the country i'm sure you've heard the expression red next to yellow kill a fellow red next to black is a friend of jack Mm. oh that's about snakes right yeah about so like the coral snake is one of the most venomous snakes in the united states and that's the one that has red yellow and black bands but the red is next to yellow and then there's a bunch of other snakes like king snakes that look almost identical but they have red next to black and they're not venomous at all well they developed that pattern to look like a coral snake so fuck with them that is an example of frequency dependent selection which Mm. is a fancy way of saying the more or less common something is the more or less in danger it is. So a negative frequency dependent selection, it means that the more common it is, the less danger it's in, which is why the king snakes try to look like the coral snakes. Because then they're like, well, if there's a bunch of us, then what are you fucking going to do? Oh. Another example, uh, an example of a positive frequency dependent selection would be viruses. So for example, the flu virus is kind of fucked like as like generally as a virus it's fucked because it's been around for so long that we its primary host humans have developed all these different kinds of antibodies that are effective against most strains of the flu Mm. so it it can't latch on into us long enough to like absolutely like dominate right yeah but that's why you hear this term novel i think like it came up a lot obviously with the coronavirus right now this current strain and people maybe didn't know what that meant but a novel coronavirus or a novel flu strain means that it's a new kind that's a little bit different so in that way it has beat the adaptation game by saying, oh, well, you you had all this shit, but like you ain't never seen this before and we don't have any antibodies for it. So that's that's the problem It's like we've had other coronaviruses 
and we've been able to fight them off. But this is a novel coronavirus, so we have no antibodies. Our bodies don't know what to do with it. Anyway, stay home. Communal defense, which I mentioned earlier, which is how animals kind of like work together to fight predators, which mm-hmm. are really fucking cool. One which you may not have realized was a defense mechanism is uh, cicadas. Mm-hmm. So you guys know how cicadas only hatch like se- every 17 years? Yeah. Yes. Okay, I didn't know if you knew that, Ellie. I didn't know if there were cicadas in Europe. There aren't, but I learned that when I first moved here and lost my mind. Really? Yeah, because someone was like, oh, it's the night night of the 17 years. And I was like, the fuck kind of, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) Cicadas don't just do that to be, like, fucking special. They do it because their natural predators starve out. Mm. I like that strategy because to me, like, I feel like it's the most, like, spiteful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's like I will rearrange my entire existence like I will rearrange time and space I will miss so many iterations of the iPhone just to fuck your shit up mm-hmm. <laughs> I will never even see it coming another version of um, communal defense that I think people don't realize is communal defense is Zabras 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 uh, Connor has a really special relationship with Zebras so it has to always be said that way mm-hmm. but Zebras develop their stripes because mm-hmm. you know they're like horses right there's like horses like italicized so they develop their <laughs> stripes because it's dazzle camouflage so when a flock of when like a lion or something goes after some zebras and there's a bunch of zebras together and they all start dispersing they're like the, the, f- the fuck is the face what yeah, it basically creates like yeah like a uh, white noise like from a tv Oh my gosh. And you can't, the predators can't tell which direction they're going or how many there are or any of that shit, which is like fucking metal. That's so cool. The most metal Mm. are the like lizards losing their tails, right? Yeah. Crabs losing claws, just being like, I don't even need it. Apparently, there's a type of sea cucumber that can regenerate its organs. So whenever it gets like attacked by a bigger fish, it just shoots its organs out of its asshole. (laughs) Sorry. But I think the most metal one goes to the hairy frog from Central America. And I'm not like, that's his actual name. Like, I'm not just like insulting this frog. (laughs) It's it's called the hairy frog. And I'm pretty sure it must be the inspiration for Wolverine. Because what it does is when it's it's in defense mode, it cracks, it breaks its own toe bones. (gasps) And it pushes them through its skin. Mm. Like, to be clear, these ah. aren't, like, retractable claws. Like, it's just the bones of their toes. And they rip them through their own skin to create makeshift claws. They're like Wolverine. <gasps> but isn't that metal as shit? So then after that, they still have, like, broken feet. And then they have to heal. Oh. But then they'll do it again if you come after them again. Uh-huh. Oh, does it hurt? Yes. <laughs> but the thing is, like, animals, this is what I think is cool, right? Is, like... I feel like this is a great example, like not to get too into like high thoughts, but also this is called Puff Puff Pass. Um, This is a great example of like humans capacity for intelligence actually kind of fucking us over instead of helping us. Right. We obviously have defense mechanisms. Hello, Mm -hmm. coworkers. And we have the ability to sense pain, physical and emotional and psychological. But we are now so consumed with and good at avoiding pain that we can't do this kind of metal shit anymore in sort of like hippy dippy wellness parlance. It's like, we're not good at being uncomfortable, but like that actually is really true because like my favorite, maybe my favorite quote of all time from DH Lawrence, which is like, I never saw a wild thing. Sorry for itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like an animal 
will, you know, chew its leg off if its leg is bad. Like an animal would never like go to the vet and cry and be like, I don't know, just do everything you can to save it. Like they're not going to do that. They don't give a shit. Like pain only really serves to tell them what they need to do in that moment to survive. And then they do that thing and they don't worry about it anymore. So like that frog, I'm sure like they do get a pain response just like you or I, when they break their bones because their bones are broken and it, the pain response is just telling them like you've taken damage, uh, but they don't, they don't overthink it past that. That was kind of a gross note to end on. So now I'm going to bring it real circle. Okay. Bring it real. Just tell you like the impetus for this wet topic, which mm-hmm. is the greatest fucking thing I've ever read, uh, which uh, apparently shout out to Ellie was first, um, first witnessed in a BBC documentary. Thank you. I will claim all of that. Thank you. Which was called Spy in the Pod, which was about dolphins. Aw. Uh, and it has to do with dolphins and pufferfish, a.k.a. Puff Puff Pass. Okay. Um, so pufferfish also have an anti-predator adaptation, and it's to puff up. Get all big and spiky. Yeah, they puff up. They look like a big old ball. They big look old so dumb. Ball. And they're and they release when they puff up. They release toxin, and the toxin is meant to like be in the water and get in a predator's like eyes and in their mouth. It's like disgusting and horrible, and they let go of the pufferfish and they swim away. Right. Right. Well, dolphins, which I think it's also important to bring up, dolphins, second smartest animal on the planet behind apes. Dolphins don't seem to have a negative response to this toxin instead it gets them high as fuck really yeah it gets them like fucking like gorded out of their minds so they have figured this out and they will go seek out puffer fish (gasps) make them puff up and then pass them between each other with their noses like a volleyball for like 20 to 30 minutes until every dolphin in the pod is like totally fucking ganked Oh my, what do they do when they're high? They're like, they say they're in like a trance-like state and they just like fucking vibe. Oh, yes. They float. Okay. They float underneath the water's surface, mesmerized by their own reflections. Fuck. Yes. (laughs) It's also similar to another anti-predator adaptogen, which is that spiciness and peppers, like peppers developed capsaicin to prevent being eaten by animals. Every other animal was like, ow, oh God, ow, I don't want that. And they leave and then humans were like, ow. And then they just like, were like, hell yeah. And they just this one. It. I respect the defense like, mechanism, Peppa. There is, if you look up dolphin and pufferfish, there is like, it looks like a comic that Connor would draw of just a dolphin gleefully shoving its nose into like a pufferfish who looks like he's saying, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that uh, pufferfish is like a gateway fish for dolphin some move on and just get really lost oh i think yeah sometimes like dolphins have to have like little pod interventions where they're like listen nelson like you've been hitting the puffer fish like way too hard lately i could swim i could swim for like days and not even find a puffer fish and i wouldn't even care i don't even go looking for them i don't even need it yeah i actually don't need it it's fine it's regular (laughs) it's regular that's puff puff pass dude so good <laughs> okay uh i'm gonna give you five points for putting everything in terms of uh twitter feeds mm-hmm. thank you and we give you a point for animal facts <gasps> four points straight off the bat for this picture um, yes. check the Wattpod social soon after this airs to find out uh why how good it is i'm gonna give you two points for your title because it was amazing Thank you. Oh my god, I feel so validated. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. Um, I'm gonna take away one point 
four, but I'm going to give you two points for oh, the shadowless God. lizard, because that also done blew my yeah. mind. I'm so glad that's the one that you connected with. I love me some animal facts. And I've also like often looked at Toddy and be like, why are you such a pancake? And now I know. Yeah, that's why. Well, thank you guys so much. I well, feel so heard, so seen. You're so welcome. Great topic. Are you guys ready to learn about a mank? What I am going to bring to you guys today my fellow knowledge adventurers, is the story of the Dyatlov Pass incident. Have you? <gasps> Do you know it? I am familiar with the Dyatlov Pass. Oh. <laughs> oh my God, this is exciting. In January 1959, a 23-year-old hiker named Igor Dyatlov, so there's going to be a lot of Russian names you're just going to have to bear with. Igor Dyatlov led a journey to reach the peak of Otorten, which sounds to me like somewhere out of uh, Lord of the Rings, but it's real. A mountain in the northern Urals of Soviet Russia. Or Urals, if you're normal. So this guy had a super experienced team of hikers. Many of them were from the Polytechnical Institute nearby. And before he left, he told his sports club that he and his team were going to be sending a telegram just as soon as they got back. Everything was going to be really simple, real easy. They're just going out. It's just like a Saturday night with the boys. Yeah, it's just a little journey, a little discovery. But that telegram was never sent. And none of the hikers of the so-called Dyatlov Pass incident were ever seen alive again. Dum, dum, dum. I had a bad feeling about these <laughs> It didn't sound great, did it? The recovery of their bodies revealed some gruesome and baffling details. But the Soviet government closed the case really quickly. Surprise, surprise. And offered only very thin explanations saying the hikers died due to hypothermia because they were inexperienced. Uh, maybe there was an avalanche. Who really gives a shit? And everyone was like, we do. We want to know the truth. And they were like, no, this is Soviet Russia. I do love when uh, when in- investigations are closed with like a bunch of hypotheticals. Like, I don't know. Like, what if like an avalanche? Who's to say? We figured it out. It could have been many things. But yeah, February 1st, this team led by Dyatlov begin to make their way through the then unnamed pass uh, leading to Ortorten. You might have guessed that it's now called the Dyatlov Pass because of (laughs) Igor and his team. As they push through the super hostile climate, we're talking like very cold, very cold Russia. As they push through toward the base of the mountain, they were hit with snowstorms that ripped through the narrow pass. And they lost their sense of direction. Instead of moving toward or Torton, they accidentally deviated west, found themselves on a slope of a nearby mountain. They were, in fact, six miles away from where they were supposed to be, which is a long yeah. freaking way in a snowstorm hike. Yeah, six miles is a long way by foot, <laughs> I think, by any measure. So imagine fighting through six miles of snowstorm to figure out that you're... I'd rather not. Not in the right place. As a fun little side note, the mountain itself is known as Kolat Sakil, which means dead mountain. Cool. In the language of the indigenous Mansi people of the region. So to avoid losing the altitude they'd gained, or maybe because they just wanted to practice doing this, uh, they decided to make camp in the Dyatlov Pass, in the pass that they were in. And just to be clear, because my only real experiences with mountain passes are in Skyrim... Um, sure. So a pass is like almost like a narrow kind of like valley type thing between peaks, right? Yes, it's okay. a navigable route through a mountain range or over a ridge. Okay. February 20 rolls around, no communication from these hikers. They got a volunteer rescue team together and they trekked through to where the Dyatlov Pass was. They found the campsite, but no hikers. So then they called the army and the police to, to try and determine what happened to the missing team. They found some bodies, 
but the state in which the bodies were found only raised more and more questions. So they found the first set of bodies on February 26th. When investigators arrived at the campsite, the first thing they noticed was that the tent had been cut open in a way that was clearly cut from the inside out. Meanwhile, most of the team's belongings, including several pairs of shoes, had been left at the camp. They then discovered eight or nine sets of interesting-looking footprints, barefoot footprints, and they were pretty massive. Barefoot in the snow of a frigid mountain, these experienced hikers, unlikely to leave their tents without putting shoes on. Obviously, they were in a hurry because they cut open the tent from the inside rather than just, I don't know, open the tent. These tracks, these footprints led to the edge of the nearby woods, which is almost a mile away from the camp. (gasps) Under the cedar tree, they found the remains of a small fire and the first two bodies. I'm going to try my best to say their names. Yuri Krivonoshenko and Yuri Doroshenko. Okay. Despite temperatures of minus 13 to 22 Fahrenheit, very freaking cold. Yeah. Both of their bodies were found shoeless and wearing only underwear isn't it true that sometimes when people get hypothermia they take their clothes off like yes it is true yes it yes but we will get to that too we will get to that, <clears throat> we will get to that. i don't worry that is uh, my immediate thought too i was like this ain't a mystery they got real cold and then yeah. and then confused then they found the next three bodies diatlov himself zineda kolmogorova and rustem slobodin who died on their way back from the camp from the cedar tree. So it seems that they were all at this small camp. Two of them died there. Three of them were coming back. While the circumstances were odd, investigators found the cause of their death was pretty clear. All the hikers, they said, had perished from hypothermia. Their bodies showed no indication of severe external damage beyond what had already been inflicted by the cold. But this didn't explain a few things. Doroshenko was brown and purple in complexion and had grey foam coming from his right cheek and grey liquid coming from his mouth. Ugh. Yeah. No explanation has been found for that. Also, the hands of the two hikers under the cedar were scraped away and the branches above them were torn down as if the two men had tried desperately to seek shelter from something or someone in the tree. The branches used to make that small campfire had been taken from really high up in these trees indicating that these guys had been sheltering super high up in a tree. Oh. But why? Meanwhile, Slobodin had head injuries consistent with someone falling and hitting their head over and over and over again. And Komogovara had a baton-shaped bruise on her side. As these two hikers, as well as the others found by this point, were also generally undressed, wearing some of each other's clothes, maybe supporting the idea that some of them had perished before the others and they'd taken some of their clothes uh, as they were going Uh it was pretty clear that they'd all fled very suddenly without adequate preparation into the freezing night despite being experienced hikers yes hypothermia does um, often lead you into a kind of manic state where you think that you're really warm and so you undress but it's unlikely that A they wouldn't have known that as experienced hikers and B that all of them would have experienced that at the same time and no one would have been like hey wait Maybe hey, we're hypothermic. Yeah, hypothermia. Seems like we're probably not hot. Seems like we're probably cold. There is definitely something interesting about them creating a second makeshift camp when they already had a camp. Right. It wasn't until another four bodies were discovered two months later that the mystery deepened even more. The remaining hikers were discovered buried under the snow in a ravine 75 meters deeper into the woods than the cedar than the makeshift camp, Nikolai Thibau Brignoles suffered significant skull damage in the moments before his death, while Ludmilia Dubinia, 
and Semyon Zolotayov had major chest fractures that could only have been caused by an immense force comparable to that of a car crash basically is what the doctor said like he had they had such massive chest fractures that it seemed that they had been hit by a moving car Ooh. weirdly also Dubinia was missing her tongue eyes part of her lips facial tissue and a fragment of her skull bone oh yeah perhaps most mysterious of all was that the clothes of both uh, Kolovatov and Dubinia showed evidence of being radioactive. What? Yeah. What? How, wait. How do clothes show evidence of being radioactive? I suppose when they got the bodies back and they tested it, they tested. They found radiation. I don't even know where to begin with that. There was no evidence of animal attack or scuffle. Nothing that was like congruent with claw marks or bite marks or anything like that they could tell was like oh this was clearly a bear or whatever okay because that was gonna be my next thing was like if if the woman had a bunch of soft tissue missing wouldn't that imply like an animal was eating her like maybe after death a chilling fact from the original investigation states that yudmila was found with her tongue ripped out but there was a lot of blood in her stomach which means she was still alive after it had been taken oh so she was alive when that happened. So basically, we're going to go through like some of what most people think it is, and yeah. the kind of refutes to the, the, that. Like, we're saying, like I'm a, like I don't even know where to start. <laughs> yeah. So early on, Soviets suspect that the hikers' death were perhaps the result of an ambush by the local Mansi tribesmen. A sudden attack would account for the way the hikers fled their tents, their disarray, and the damage done to the second group of bodies. But the Mansi people were largely peaceful, so when they like started talking about this, basically they were like, "Hey, <laughs> yeah, ouch, nah, uh, uh, nah." <laughs> they were super peaceful, and the evidence didn't much support violent human conflict. Like the damage was exceeded the blunt force trauma that one human could inflict on another. That's something that they like everyone involved in the case agreed on. You like the crush injuries that they yes. had. Yeah. yeah. The okay. trauma injuries were far too much for a person to inflict on another person. There was also no evidence of any footprints of a group coming or going. So then they were like, well, maybe it was a really fast, violent avalanche. They would have been woken by the sounds of the snow, would have frightened them out of their tents, running in undress, sent them sprinting for the tree line. Also, that would have an avalanche would have been powerful enough to inflict the injuries, but there was just no yeah. physical evidence of an avalanche. There was like there were no damage to the tree line, there was no debris. No avalanches have been recorded at that site before or since. So Yeah, that's that's hard evidence against. This is my favorite one. Just so, so such a human response to this whole thing. Other investigators began to test the theory that the deaths were the result of some argument among the group that got out of hand related to a romantic encounter because there was a history of dating between several of the members and that could explain the lack of clothes. <laughs> so basically, like, some of them got caught fucking, ripped their tent open and ran and hit up a tree. But most people who knew the ski group said that they were actually very harmonious and that was ridiculous. Also... Humans couldn't have inflicted the damage. So. Right. Also, they were trained hikers, so you think they would at the very least be like, "When we get off this mountain, I swear to God, like, <laughs> right, right." You. They're like, "Let's settle this here and now in the cold and dark." Uh, with humans effectively ruled out as the culprits, there are some theories that the KGB or murderous prison escapees were at fault. Ooh. And then some people began to posit non-human assailants. Some began to claim the hikers were killed by a mank. Okay. Which is basically... I find out what a mank is. Russian Bigfoot. Ooh. Mm. 
I don't know, Occam's razor when you get rid of everything else. A kind of Russian yeti, which would have accounted for the immense force and power. The people who were most supportive of this theory were the Mansi people. The Mencas from like their folklore. Well, and also they're like, stop blaming us. Mm. Yeah, they're like, nah, it was the big old radioactive mink. <laughs> Honestly, the Mensi people saying it was the mink is maybe the most compelling evidence for it being the Mensi they're people. They're like, oh yeah, that'd be the mink. So they spoke to this Mansi woman who said, oh yeah, yeah, that that's going to be your, your average mink. It's really big and strong. They said it hunts deer. It likes to rip out deer's tongues and eat them. They found deer with just their tongues ripped out in their in their like tribes the mansi woman reported that they make a horrible whistling sound that seemed to like spook her just as she talked about it she said the mink doesn't like when humans whistle in the woods and so they don't whistle oh hmm. yes i also can't um, i guess i'm good i'm getting so many t-shirt ideas out of this episode i'm like <laughs> thing baby is really strong other people say, of course, this is ridiculous. They found a radioactive weapon and stumbled into a secret government testing area. Duh. I mean, it was the 50s, right? <laughs> Those who favor this idea stress the strange appearance of the bodies at their funerals. Apparently, the corpses had slightly orange, kind of mummified, but like some of them were found after being in the snow for months. So that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Mm. I the government. Can you get sunburn after you're dead? Oh, I don't know. That's so close to a high thought. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you can get sunburned after you're dead. They sat for weeks, partially mummified in the cold. I don't know if you've seen like pictures of the bodies on Everest, but like they all look orange and withery. Yeah, that's true. It really drives me out. But the secret weapon explanation is popular because it's partially supported by the testimony of another hiking group, one camping about 50 kilometers from the Dgetlov Pass that night. This other group spoke of strange orange orbs floating in the sky around Kolatsakil, oh, yeah. distant explosions, and the Soviet government testing something called, apparently, parachute mines. The idea is that there's these mines were in the past and one mine went off which freaked them out but then again why would you go run up a tree again maybe if there's landmines sure to me hiding up a tree is hiding from something yeah right this is yeah. what i'm thinking too other this is my one of my favorite explanations the soviet government was doing a <laughs> uh, a drug test of violent behavior in the hikers and an unusual weather event known as infrasound which was caused by particular wind patterns that can lead to panic attacks in humans uh caused this whole thing to happen and that's why they all ended up like running around and killing each other which to most most of the people involved in the investigation have been like no not us in the end the hikers death were officially attributed to quote unquote a compelling natural force and the case was closed oh <laughs> But in 2019, Russian officials reopened the case for a new investigation, but they only said that they would consider three theories, an avalanche, a snow slab, or a hurricane. And again, none of it, no activity was found. The case was closed with a vague conclusion that no criminal activity was afoot. And with that, the mystery remains both officially and unofficially unsolved. I do love, again, I love when investigators are like, all right, we're reopening it, but uh, we only we will only talk about these three things. And yeah, we're going to try and look for this one thing, and if we don't find it, case closed. It's like if somebody were like, hey, we're reopening the case of who killed JonBenet Ramsey, but uh, either it was Dr. Phil or uh, I don't want to fucking hear it. I really hope that there is a like Russian 
formidable mank. I mean, I don't know. That tundra is pretty rough. I don't know that it's all been fully explored. It sounds kind of cute when you call it a mank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am interested. I want to see if there's any like fan art. Well, Eleanor, yeah, I'm going to give you seven points off the bat <gasps> for really kind of breaking down in a very understandable way a con- like a story that I've heard mentioned so many times, but I didn't fully understand everything that went on. And I feel like now you, you do. This. Yeah, the like, uh, what is? It's not Magic School Bus. What's the one that's from like the '70s? And it's like. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a Schoolhouse bill. Rock. Schoolhouse Rock. He was really at the Schoolhouse Rock like breakdown where I was Hell like, yeah. I get it now. It's just a bill. And I'm going to give you another <laughs> two points for your very valiant attempts at saying all people's names. And I know that's oh, flippant, you. but I actually don't mean to be flippant because I mean, I know it's difficult when you don't speak Russian to try to. My brain just kind of gives up halfway through. Well, yeah, it's just, just a lot of consonants, but I'm like, I, I think that it was really nice because I think we are talking about real people who really died, and I think yeah. it was very respectful, and so Thanks. I appreciate that. I am going to take away one point because you didn't tell me what the answer was, and you know yeah. when you do that. Solving mysteries and fixing America. Hell yeah. I am going to give you eight points because it turns out you cannot get a sunburn when you're dead. Oh, okay, cool. Is that it? That's it. That's it. Full stop. Okay. Because so you're giving me eight points for your tangentially related question. Yes. <laughs> Go on. I just wanted to clear that up. Just wanted to check on that. Thanks. Uh, yes. Okay. So returning to. Uh, my topic. <laughs> yeah. Killing <laughs> one bird with ten stones. Yeah. Have either of you heard of the emu war? No. 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 What? Okay. That's. Uh, I wish I had because I almost. What <laughs> <laughs> to explain it yeah. to you? <laughs> I almost um, just named my topic the emu war because I thought it would be like a fake out. Oh, yeah. Because you'd think it was something else. Uh-huh, but it's just the emu But war. it's just the emu war. But then I figured you probably would have heard of it. I mean, I think wow. I've heard the phrase, but I don't know what it means or okay. what it refers to. So the emu war was something that happened in uh, 1932 in Western Australia. So okay. after World War I, uh, the Australian government had given, uh, I guess, land to all these like returning soldiers that was nice. Yeah. So they had, like, started, you know, setting up all these, like, wheat farms uh, in, like, you know, I don't know if that's the outback. I don't know anything about Australia. It was, what's, <laughs> what's the it was in Western Australia. Such a strong start. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they had, you know, built farms uh, out there. And uh, they started having an issue with uh, large populations of emu just, like, coming through and just, like, messing all their stuff up. Just like uh, a little ostrich, right? It's, like, smaller than an ostrich, I think, but they're, they're still pretty big. Okay. Uh, and I don't think they're, like, particularly, like, nice either. I don't know if they're, like, cassowary mean. Aw, they're not sweet. I had originally, I had remembered this as being caused by a drought, but when I reread the, like, Wikipedia page earlier today, it didn't really mention that. Uh, but it did say that they were, like, attracted to, like, the wheat fields 
and the water that the farmers had like set up for their livestock. Kinda. Yeah, because water's glittery, very pretty. Yeah. Very beautiful. Veterans turned farmers requested from the government the use of uh, machine guns to like kill the emus because they had seen like how effective machine guns were at killing, you know, tons of like more or less innocent people. And we're like, oh, we could also just like wipe these birds out if we just had like a couple of those bad boys. <laughs> yeah. Again, to be fair, there might have been like 20,000 emus like roaming around, just like absolutely like ruining wheat fields. So there really were just an emu a minute. Yeah. I mean, this was like a serious practical and economic problem like okay. for these people directly, but also possibly for like all of Australia. So on November 2nd, 1932, uh, Major J.P.W. Meredith uh, came in with his boys and uh, two Lewis machine guns. Which are not we're not talking about a huge like Gatling gun, but like okay. larger than like a rifle. Okay, right. I'm back on board. Okay, they you know set up shop and started trying to like ambush these packs of emu, mm-hmm. uh, and it just did not work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I really didn't expect you to say that. Well, they like again, like it seemed uh, like on paper, I'm sure like a really good idea, and like all these soldier farmers were thought it would be like a good idea and like these army men that came in were like yeah we have the guns and like these dumb birds are just gonna like get mowed down but what they found is that like a the emus are like pretty fast like they run you know around 30 miles per hour faster than a bullet no they're not faster than a bullet but like they're fast they're hard to aim at they're hard to aim at okay yeah because like these guns aren't like they're portable like a person can like pick it up and like carry it around these are the ones that are kind of like they're heavy as fuck but they go down on like little like a little um like a little rest stand. at the front yeah. Yeah. yeah okay so you can't be like all jason statham like jumping from the <laughs> no no, no. Out you can't just like strafe around the emu herd. <laughs> Uh, and the other thing is the emus would just like scatter they wouldn't like stick together like hell yeah a school of fish they would like split up as if they were like guerrilla fighters Fuck and just yes. like go off in like small groups. So like even if you started to target one of those groups, like most of them would get away anyway. Uh, yeah, that's Damn. called criminal defense. Yeah. And then the other issue is just that the a lot of the guns just wouldn't work a lot of the time. They would jam. Oh, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. Bad guns. So after a little less than a week of uh, trying to ambush the birds, uh, they gave up the first time. <laughs> Uh, and Major <laughs> Meredith gave up. Fuck yeah, this. more or less. Uh, Major Meredith was happy to report that uh, they had suffered no casualties, but unfortunately, the birds had suffered very few casualties, also. Uh, <laughs> and brains that they had only killed from about like fifty to like maybe at most like five hundred birds over the course of this week. And there were thousands and thousands of them, right? At le- yeah, thousands and thousands. May- even if there weren't like actually twenty thousand emus, there were much around that yeah yeah and major Meredith was quoted at the time as saying uh if we had a military division with the bullet carrying capacity of these birds it would face any army in the world so he had like that sort of like uh tv show like i may not like these birds methods but god damn it do i respect them yeah (laughs) you weren't there man uh, you were there because this didn't really work there was some debate in parliament about uh why they were spending money to like send dudes out into the outback hypothetically nah, sure enough uh again i don't actually know where the outback is and i think it's the okay this is the one thing i know about australia well other than like the <laughs> thing that everybody knows about australia that we're not supposed to talk about uh but the one thing i know about australia is that mo like the vast majority of civilization is around the perimeter 
like around the coast. And then I, so that's where I think the outback is interior Australia. Oh, okay. Okay. So the, anyway, there's a debate in parliament about like the money that they were spending on this. Is this uh, English parliament? No, the Australian parliament. Okay. Uh, and also a lot of snark, I guess, from like members of the <laughs> representatives. Uh-huh. Uh, one person was quoting was asking uh, if medals should be struck for this emu war. And someone else responded uh, <laughs> that yes, but that they should go to the birds who have won every encounter so far. <laughs> Dunked on. Oh my yeah. gosh. Pretty sick burn on these Australian soldiers. <laughs> who have just come home from a war. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... A little shortly after that, they did resume the operation uh, on November 13th, and they started to have a little more success. And by December, uh, Major Meredith reported that they were having about 100 kills per week. That's Uh, not much at all, though, is it? No, it's not. He said he was proud that they had gotten up to killing uh, one emu per 10 rounds of ammunition. Oh, (gasps) 10 rounds? Yeah. Wild! Uh, so they eventually just shut the whole thing down, uh, on December 10th of that year, at which point it became just like a subject of mockery, uh, both in Australia and in England, uh, where it also became a point of concern (laughs) for conservationists who, uh, did not understand how poorly the Australian military was doing against the birds Uh and were worried that they were about to like wipe them out. Like eradicate emus. That was, could not be further from the truth. No, that was not what was happening. (laughs) Uh, oh, meanwhile, these emus are sending like very positive letters from the battlefront back home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it will be over soon. Yeah. <laughs> we are staying strong in our numbers. And that was it. That was the end of the emu war. Uh, Amazing. They decided to stop they get, doing yeah, it. Yeah, they stopped doing it. They gave well, up. What happened to the, like their wheat production? Uh, they switched to a bounty system where individual farmers were paid for bringing in like emu corpses, oh. uh, which was apparently much more effective. Because uh, then they could use more devious methods. I don't know. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I think, they have like an emu Rambo in Australia. I think just massive emu killing all in like one time just maybe wasn't effective. But like a bunch of farmers just kind of casually picking off emus day by day. I think they had like an emu Braveheart kind of situation yeah. where one of them really stepped up. Painted his little emu face blue and was like, Freda! (laughs) Or it was like an emu uh, rise of the planet of the apes where one of the emus just went up to the farmer's house and was just like, no! (laughs) Yes, exactly. With his little beak, he like chiseled no on the farm door. No! Mm -hmm. Well, to be fair, it was theirs first. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and then the farmers came in and were like, me, 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 me. I'm going to take away five points off the bat and start you negative uh, because uh, it turns out my fears were unfounded and we didn't have that very similar. uh, And that is your fault. So I'm going to take away five points right off the bat, but I'm going to give you, and this might be a record, 12 points. Oh, whoa. There's, if Connor, you know me, if there's one thing I love, Mm -hmm. it's stories where animals triumph over people because Mm -hmm. again, Animals are better and they should be respected. Yeah. My mom and I, one of our favorite like pastimes when I was a child, uh, before Sugar Bear came between us, uh, was <laughs> we would watch like those shows like the When Animals Attack and stuff like that. But we would be like on the side of the animals and be like, yeah, fucking get them, uh-huh. get them. That's theirs. Like like Ellie said, it's like well, Emu Braveheart. I'm just like get yeah. out of her lands. Yeah, it would have been nice if they had gotten like one of the Aussies. It w- <sighs> yeah. 
I like to believe that they did, and that oh. was just too embarrassing. Oh, they before. covered it up? Yeah, it was a big cover-up. <laughs> Connor, I'm going to give you seven points, one for each Ooh. foot that the emu can vertically jump. Oh. <gasps> Hell yeah. Oh, that's a fun yep. animal fact. There you go. I, I didn't know that. Point for that fact. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you two points for short, sweet, and very funny. Uh, one point for Dickin' on Australia. And um, <laughs> can it, I'm going to minus two points because you don't know where the Outback is. Yeah. And we worked that out as a team, but... That is um, very embarrassing in hindsight. I loved it. Thank you for dunking on Australia to me. And Alana Pierce, if you're listening, which you aren't. Sorry about that. <laughs> Literally the only Australian that I know. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, that's so good. Amazing. What a fun little time that we just had with some animals. I'm going to count the mank as an animal. I needed this. It was like animal escapism. If quarantine got you down, just check on some animal facts. It's it, true. It, it always helps, I find. Just find this photo of the dolphin pushing the pufferfish, which I think <laughs> I am going to make the background on my phone. <laughs> yes. Um. <laughs> just like be either one of those creatures in that image. It's a yeah. mood. Sometimes I'm the dolphin, sometimes I'm the pufferfish. <laughs> <laughs> so Connor, good. find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at cornershoe.comics. With an X. With right? an X, yes. Yeah. Uh, I highly you know, recommend that you do that. Nasty stuff. Stuff. Yeah, nasty. Nasty comics. Mm-hmm. I very much enjoyed your cat work series. <laughs> oh, <thank> you. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> exactly what it sounds like for the people at home. Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold, including TikTok, where right now I'm super furious because like a throwaway TikTok I made of Connor doing absolutely nothing is now like my top performing TikTok of all time. And I'm so mad about it. You can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. That's M-A-I-N-E-Y. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash whatpod and you can find all the information, the episodes and our merch at those two girls. Hell yeah. Stay so sweet. Stay Thank home. Thank you. Have a stay. great day. Stay so sweet. Home. Stay home. Go learn something. But stay. But stay. But, but where you are right now, I love it. Though.